the United States of America, home of the brave. A place that is filled with different cultures, diversity, beautiful scenery, a place I call home. But one thing many people may not know about the USA is that artisans, craftsmen, and women, photographers, musicians, creatives, makers of all sorts that come with this beautiful country. Many people tend to buy products from major online retailers that they forget about the make that is happening right here in America. From the Industrial Revolution and even prior to that time period, America has continued to build its economy through makers and there are thousands of them. America has makers that forge steel to make knives and axes, sew skirts, hats, and handbags with materials of all sorts, paint and capture visuals that are forever in your home and carried in your heart share stories through music and writings, make special treats and refreshing beverages, and much more. Join me through the journey through the lives of makers across our country to hear how they get down with their craft. I'm Kristen Vermeule, and this is Makers of the USA. On this episode of the Makers of the USA main series, the tables turn and I get to be interviewed for a change. Thanks to Maine Craft Association, I got to be included in a project of theirs that provides makers that are a part of their community a chance to choose from three creative options to help promote their work or a project they are working on. These options include photography, videography, or a podcast. Well, I was quite lucky that Sarah Sockbrison chose the podcast option as she is looking to start a podcast around Native American craft and artisans, which is right up my alley. But as you know, I'm the type of person who doesn't really like to talk about herself, and I like to get the stories out there of others. So of course, I had to ask Sarah about her basket weaving craft and how she got into it. She has a long family history of basket weaving, and she does an amazing job of it. I don't know how she has the time to do all of her projects, but I'm cheering her on every step of the way. Listen in to hear about Sarah's journey in the basket weaving craft, how she wants to start a podcast, and how I started my podcast, and how I go about my podcasting craft, I guess you could call it. Now, let's talk craft with Sarah Sockbison. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into Makers of Maine. I have the lovely Sarah with me today. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know it has been a long time coming. We've been trying to set this up for a while and I'm just so honored to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I know and we've been trying to make it happen for a while and you know, things would come up. So I'm glad we're finally getting there and able to mm -hmm. record. <laughs> I know. It takes time, right? So uh, just a little bit of background on this particular interview. Um, so this is in a partnership with Minecraft Association. The guys over at Minecraft Association actually connected me with Sarah. And uh, Sarah is a basket weaver, and she is also starting her own podcast, which we'll talk about in this interview. So I don't want to spoil the fun. So before we kind of get into more of the podcasting side of things, because Sarah will be asking me questions about the podcasting world, and I'll be asking her questions about her craft of basket weaving. So this is going to be a little different um, compared to the other interviews that I've done with other makers. So um, Sarah, I wanted to kick off the interview with the question I ask every single maker is what is your craft and what inspired you to start it? So my primary craft, what I do for the majority of my time is ash and sweetgrass basket making. So I make 
mostly what people would consider fancy baskets. And they are smaller, more uh, art type pieces. And they're all pretty much made out of the traditional materials, ash and sweetgrass. And I actually, I listened recently to your interview with Gabe. And so that was really cool because I feel like you got a really great overview of the process and how we gather and harvest our material. And so I feel like you've kind of, you kind of already have a really good overview of what we do and kind of what goes yeah. into making a basket. Yeah, I did. Gabe's interview was fantastic. And, you know, what I really wanted to touch upon with you is just sort of a really what is your background so like are you from Maine how did you get into basket weaving and really the craft I mean was it carried through your family like how did you get into it yeah so I am a Penobscot basket maker so I actually do come from a long line of basket makers so it's in my family and it was always something that I had interested but I was really, when I was younger, I think I was just an artist. Like I've always been an artist since I was just, I remember being four, five, six years old and that's all I wanted to do was draw, color. So making things has always been my real true kind of desire and passion. And so when I graduated high school, I planned to go to art school and that's what I wanted to pursue. And I ended up taking some time away between right after high school. I went and I stayed and lived at my grandmother's house on the reservation on Indian Island. And I ended up living with her for a while and helped helped her out after my grandfather died. So I while I was there on the island, I began becoming more and more interested in one, hearing my grandmother's stories, knowing more about her as a child. And I think it's really important when, you know, we have our elders around and available, that knowledge is there. And when they're gone, that knowledge is gone, you know. And so I think that it's really important to really talk to them and get to know how they were when they were younger. So that was really important to me. And just hearing the stories that she would tell about what it was like on Indian Island way, way back in the day it was really cool. And so I, I'm i from Indian Island. That's where my whole family is from. And the other side, my uh, dad's father is actually Passamaquoddy. So that's uh, mm. my dad's side. And I also, my mom's side is actually from Brooklyn, Maine, and down to the coast uh, by Deer Isle, Stonington, that area. So that's where primarily after leaving like the Bangor Indian Island area, I moved down that way, down to the coast, and lived there from probably 11 on till I graduated high school. And so wow. I, I have really strong ties, both uh, my mom's family's from that area and then my other, my, my dad's family's from the Bangor Indian Island area. So that's where I'm from. And my family's, you know, been here for generations and generations. Like this is our homelands. And I, I love living in Maine and I actually appreciate the isolation and whatnot. <laughs> so it's something that I I feel like it, it lends itself well to being an artist because sometimes the isolation helps you get your work done. You're not too distracted. So, right. yeah, really my what spurred kind of getting into basketry was hearing my grandmother's stories 
being also surrounded by the community and the culture, I wanted to, there was just something that, that really drew me to basketry. There, I don't know and what it was, but it was something that drew me in and that was what I wanted to learn. And so I hoped that my grandmother could teach me because she said, she her in her stories, she would always say, oh, I used to make baskets with my mother when I was growing up. I used to help her make baskets. So I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna get some material and you're gonna show me how to make a basket. And so I went and I, I got the material and I brought it to her and I presented it and I was like, okay, show me. And she was like, oh, I don't really remember. And like then her story changed slightly and she was like, well, um, eh, you know, and she couldn't remember. Like I was not going to obtain the knowledge that I needed from her, unfortunately. So that, that was really like kind of the sad part was that her generation just wasn't really interested. I'm not sure if they just wanted to kind of be a part of the mainstream dominant culture or what, but she she never learned unfortunately. And you know when that when that knowledge isn't passed from generation to generation, it's it, it happens very quickly where that knowledge is lost. And she actually didn't learn the language uh, specifically because her mother didn't want her learning how to speak fluently and then not being able to speak English and potentially being, you know, ostracized when she went over to school. She went to school over town, which is off Indian Island. And so she didn't want her to be discriminated against for having broken English. So that was like the, their mentality back then. And so she never was taught the language. And so that's, you know, another thing that's completely lost. So you know, just very sad. And I, I see, I think we're all like recognizing how quickly we can lose things if we don't all do our part and take some of that knowledge on, on ourselves, you know, onto our plate as a responsibility. So I eventually ended up going and doing an apprenticeship. I found someone else in the community to teach me basket making. And uh, the talented uh, Jennifer Sapiel, she taught me. I went to her and, and she's with the Maine Indian Basket Makers Alliance, or she was at mm -hmm. the time. And so nice. that organization really uh, took me under their wing. Her and Teresa Secord, uh, they kind of let me into the fold. And that was when I started to really dive deep into the world of Wabanaki basketry. So that's kind of how my I got goodness. my start. Wow, that's amazing. And it's so nice to really see a community of folks that know the skill and brought you in and taught you. And would you say they've been sort of mentors along the way when going about your crafting journey? Yeah, for sure. They definitely were and and served as an example of what you could do and how you could potentially uh, make a living with your art. And I knew that I wanted to do something with my art. That's that's really like always been a strong desire. So I knew I would become an artist, but I wasn't really I didn't have all the skills or the knowledge to make a living or I didn't know how to employ those kind of business strategies back then. And so, you know, it's taken a lot of years of trial and error, but also I've I have since then taken a lot of like business classes and things like that. And so, it's really great to come full circle and be able to not only do what you love making the things that you want to make, but then also be able to make a living at it. You know, that's the important thing. <laughs> right. No, that makes sense. And so is basket weaving your full-time job or do you get into other, you know, crafting activities? So yes, I mean, it is my full-time job, I would say 
for at least 90% up until now. But since Corona, things have definitely changed. I've kind of viewed my practice in a whole new way and trying to do things differently, not just because of the after effects, but also because I've been wanting to, I guess, not just challenge myself, but I've been wanting to do things a little differently and branch into making some more diverse products and content. And I also think it's really important to educate people. Like that's one of my primary goals. So I I do work with First People's Fund, another organization, a native serving organization. And I work with them teaching native artists professional development. And so what we do is we go out into different tribal communities and we will teach. Uh, they, they have a, an established curriculum that's built specifically for the native artists. And what's cool about it is it applies to native people and is really like a, a values-based system so that it it makes a lot more sense to apply to your life for the native traditional practitioners. So Hmm. native artists do things a little bit differently. And so that curriculum has been really great. So I will go out there and I'll teach the different, uh, we'll have groups, you know, um, and different tribal communities will enlist us to come and present to their artists and so it's really cool because I've gotten to meet a ton of artists all over the country and I really I think it's really great to not only give them the knowledge that they need to propel and really be more successful with their art but also that you can really empower them to think beyond uh, just selling you know to people in the neighborhood you know they can kind of think a little more uh, larger scale. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's great that you guys have such an educational, really like program to allow for that, because I find that it's so hard as a maker starting up and and making it your full time job. So I'm super just in awe of that you've been doing this as a, like a practically 90% of your time in basket weaving and then educating people about it. So good for you with doing that. Cause I, I know there's a lot of people that tend to struggle and can learn off of this. Well, I mean, what lessons learned have you, um, kind of had thus far with being an entrepreneur and like navigating through this? Cause I'm sure it was a little tough in the beginning until you established your brand, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I think in the beginning it was all about just making and all I wanted to do was just create and and I would do anything to be able to just practice my art that's all I wanted to do really you know and so I don't think I initially knew what I was getting myself into I mean I I think I have had kind of a business mindset like I I have that sort of um, approach naturally my I come from a line of uh, a long line of basket makers who have been selling baskets for generations but I also have had a lot of really great examples in my family for business owners and so I've really absorbed everything that I could and taken from different people you know the the basic concepts of how to you know go and sell your work how to market your brand and things like that and so that came really naturally I feel but it did take a lot of trial and error and figuring out like how to present your work how to reach customers more effectively things like that so that's been kind of a a a work in progress in terms of how I sell you know and especially with COVID now where everybody's doing things virtually we are now I'm, I'm taking it to the next level in thinking about my approach and how I reach customers 
customers? How do I, you know, give them the product that they want? Or a lot of times I have orders placed and people are waiting for them. So my my biggest struggle actually has been having not enough time to produce the amount of work that the market has demanded of me. So that's been, I mean, that's a, that's a great problem to have, I think. But at the same time, it's caused me to rethink everything. And I'm really trying to figure out ways to offer people more and give them more content, give them more products without it being so time dependent and so like dependent on just me. You know, because that's the thing with like fine craft and art. It's the artist physically making this piece. And a lot of times there there's a limit, there's a cap on how much an artist is capable of producing by themselves. So that's been a really tricky part. And I'm still like figuring that out. I'm sure. And wow, that's amazing to hear that you are just like up to capacity. Like you probably have so many orders coming in and so do you typically do commission work? Do people just ask, hey, this is what I want? Or do you have some pieces that are in inventory that's like in your kind of regular line? Like how does that work for you? So in normal times, I'll build up inventory before a show. So if I have a show, you know, I usually have mm, five to six a year that I will attend larger markets. And that this is all over the country where I sell my work because I will do some markets like uh, Santa Fe Indian Market and another market in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So when I do when I have a market that I need to be ready for, I will work two to three months in advance getting building inventory and just trying to make as much as I can in order to bring to market. And so that gets really tricky trying to build inventory while also having people contact you to order. So what I've done usually is I've set things up so that people can place orders in the off season. So from, I would say December, December to March is usually when I will have the opportunity to work on orders. So people do have to sometimes wait. And I'll try to squeeze in an order here and there if possible in between shows. So that's how it normally works. Uh, But with COVID, everything's different. And I've really just had more time to work on orders. But then I've also been working on my new content and trying to get everything set up for my podcast and the other type of products that I'm working to produce. And so some of the orders get a little bit backed up. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you're so busy. My goodness, you have the basket weaving, then you have this lovely podcast. So, you know, let's kind of transition over to that. So I know uh, when we had chatted, you were telling me like, hey, I want to ask you questions about how you started your podcast. And, you know, it sounds like you've traveled like all over and getting to know artists. I mean, this just sounds like it's such a good move for you and just telling stories. And so I'm really excited for you. So congrats on that. Um, So tell me, like, when are you planning on launching this? Is it soon? Or do you have still a a couple of details to figure out? (laughs) So I really do want to uh, launch soon. I, you know, it keeps getting pushed back because I'm not, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready, you know, and I think maybe perhaps you're never ready. So I just need to do it. Just jump in and 
and start making. But at the same time, um, I also am the type of person that's really um, OCD sometimes where I'm like attention to detail and then also signing up and signing on for more than I can handle and thinking that I can like do all the million different things that I have going on. And then also this, (laughs) you know, so that's limiting myself to, you know, work on the projects that you have at hand and then, you know, move on. So that's been what I'm working on. And so I'm hoping very soon, like, uh, my goal is to kind of branch off from this uh, interview. I want to hopefully introduce myself to uh, listeners and have an episode or two ready to go so that potentially they can, you know, jump off into uh, listening to other Native artists talk about their artistry. And that's really my primary goal is I want to I want to talk to artists initially and specifically Native artists and have them kind of share their stories and allow them the opportunity to kind of share their perspectives and their insights on being a contemporary artist and working in more traditional mediums. Oh, that sounds fascinating. I can't wait to promote it. I'm so excited for you. Are you, what is your rollout strategy? Are you going to be doing, you know, once a month, twice a month? Have you thought about that? So I really would like to be able to do it like once a week, but I mean, I got to be realistic too. So I want to, I wish I could do that. Yeah, That would be awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to say like once every two weeks, let's say, let's shoot for that for now, you know? Yeah. Oh no, that's great. So, you know, shoot away. What what questions do you have in terms of, you know, the podcasting world? Because I have to say, I am not a whole expert at it, but I try to be. So I, I'm excited to hear what questions you have for me. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited to ask you some questions actually. So, um I guess what I, I what I wondered in listening cuz I've listened to a bunch of your episodes and wanted to get a feel for kind of uh your style of presenting and how you interview and whatnot. And so what my question would be is what was it about artists and craftspeople that interested you the most and drew you in and said this is what's going to be my topic? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, so I feel like every maker is so different and has a different story. So I, what I like to do is f- fully focus on that individual and what their story is about. And that kind of pulls that thread of that theme, that topic, that focus. So I feel like the getting to know each individual maker first and foremost is probably like my first priority in sort of pulling together the content, pulling together that story, pulling together the questions. And then what I do is I also want to learn about the process of the craft because that's really what I why I wanted to start the podcast. I wanted to treat it as a elementary sort of voice process because I know a lot of makers they kind of use terminology where a lot of folks just don't understand and they're like hmm uh what are you talking about like can you take a step back so I tell people I'm like just tell us the elementary level like broad level of a process of your craft because that's better to understand it in that regard and then you know I, I typically get 
a focus, sort of the general topic when asking or really putting together the questions and I get it through the story. Like I get it through the actual interview. So going into it, I do some research, but I actually like to get that topic after the interview and like really listening in, engaging and just being like, okay, yep, I know exactly where this is going to go. So that's really my process. Some people do it way in the beginning and figuring out that topic and that flow. I kind of do it afterwards. It's a little bit different of a process. Cool. So in general, you kind of play off of what you get started, get on a roll with within the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like if you're too formatted in general, like maybe that would get like boring to people. I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to know like what listeners want. Do you ever get uh, or enlist like feedback hearing what people say about the podcast? And like, how do you get the feedback from people? And how do you know if you know, people are enjoying the content? That's a great question. I always solicit um, really feedback. And I usually get that from, you know, reviews. I tell people, leave me a review, leave a rating and be honest, because if it's something I need to work on, then I'll work on it. And uh, so far, it seems like a lot of people are enjoying the storytelling and, you know, that whole bit. I did get some feedback recently, though, from an actual um, guest of my podcast and really the sponsorship side. So recording the ads and saying, hey, you should probably, you know, shorten it up up, you know, short and sweet to the point is great. And, you know, I'm really stepping into such a new territory when it comes to sponsorship. So I enjoy that feedback. But in regards to sort of that editorial storytelling process, I mean, I've been doing storytelling for a long time. I've been a publicist for a long time. I've been in the marketing world for a long time. So what I try to do is best prepare my guests and making sure they're as comfortable as possible and best prepared. I actually learned really more about this when I worked at Seabags, which is down in Portland. I used to do PR for them. And the president there was always like, we need questions in advance from a journalist. I'm like, "Mm." I'm like, I don't know if we're going to get that because some journalists do it and some of them don't. So I may just have to do mock questions and just figure out, okay, what can we do to best prepare? So rather than just guessing and like having the guests guess what you're going to ask, I mean, you might as well prepare them. I mean, you're not hiding anything. And if you really want to ask specific questions, why not let them know in advance? So, you know, I kind of learned from that. So in regards to feedback, I think that's really what I've learned in terms of just diving into something new. I've learned that just from, I guess, but through my followers, it's just, you know, it's either through the review process or they just direct message me or email me sometimes. But I mean, all the feedback's been good thus far, fingers crossed. But, um, you know, I'll probably get some negative feedback on the way too. And that's fine. I'll just take it and try to, and I've learned from it. So that's kind of how I rolled. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, I mean, it's definitely important to hear feedback and have some sort of critique of your work in general so that you can get a feel for what others' perception of the content is. Right. But at the same time, it's like you sometimes have to, you know, weigh things in terms of how hard you want to be on yourself, you know? Oh, Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I think we're all like super critical of our own work in general. So that's like just a human thing. (laughs) It is. And even in the beginning when I got into the podcasting world, which is a little over a year ago, so I'm still very fresh and new to all of this. I mean, I know podcasters have had their podcasts for years 
And it's definitely a lesson learned as you go. And you don't want it to be like a robotic conversation. And it's it was really hard during COVID because it, a lot of those interviews were virtual. And I mean, we're doing this virtually right now just because, you know, it's hard with personal lives. I mean, I have two kids, so it, it's tough with time management. And I think that virtual versus, you know, in person um, at first was very different. It was very hard on me, but I'm adjusting a lot. And I'm learning a lot from it. So I find that that authentic rawness comes out of me even through virtual means. But it depends on the guest and the person. So I feel like you're definitely going to go through that. I don't know if you're doing virtual or if you're going to be traveling to these um, guest studios or their homes or wherever. But that's just something I've learned along the way that it may be a struggle in the beginning. But if you're used to the virtual sort of meetings and concepts, which I think a lot of people are now, right, with the pandemic, um, you'll get the hang of it. It'll take some time. Yeah, I'm wondering. I mean, I've, I've had a few ideas of how to do it virtually that would be, you know, that could be effective. So also we'll see how this uh, format, the way that we recorded this today, how that works. I'm interested to see. Hopefully I pressed the right buttons and did everything properly because mm-hmm. I, I do have all my own equipment here set up. And so I'm ready to roll in that aspect. But it, I think there's a learning curve to, you know, figuring out the equipment and trying to also know how the the microphone works like that's a whole other type of medium to work with and luckily I do have some help uh, with audio the the audio aspects so I've I've gotten t- a, a, gr- a great overview of how the equipment works and you know basics and a real crash course into uh, sound and audio recording but I'm definitely learning and um, <laughs> of course second guessing myself on like if I've set everything up properly and you know I I mean, you kind of like touched on before we started saying that one session you forgot to record. Like, I've definitely heard those type of horror stories. And I'm like, oh, God, like (laughs) the loss of like that, you know, that conversation. And you're not it's you you can't get that back, you know, if you didn't press record. (laughs) I know because it's such a good flow. And you're like, oh, man, like this was such great content. Like now I got to go back and, you know, it's not going to be the same. So you're like, oh crap, oh what God. am I going to do? So yeah, it, it just totally rattles you. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's not fun. Um, but you yeah, learn as you go. Imagine. Yeah, you have to like reset and be like, all right, let me give me five. I'll go to the restroom or grab a coffee or get some water. So I always say to like reset because if you don't reset, oh yeah, you're it's going <laughs> to make it seem oh, like God. you are lost track. So that's why I say reset, yeah. reset, reset. <laughs> and I'm just thinking also like, I mean, equating it to like a work, you know, creating a painting or something and then having someone just like throw like a bucket of black paint on it and it's like nope all that work gone you know (laughs) i know yeah so i'm i'm really hoping that i press the right buttons here and everything records as it's supposed to so i think you're good i think you're good (laughs) so my my question also what i'm wondering is in terms of like your production and um you have your recording and then you also have to do editing do you do all that yourself um so i do the initial i call it first cut of editing then my husband 
who is not an audio engineer. He is self-taught. He does it through another piece of software. Um, I believe it's an Adobe software. And he does the audio leveling and he does the second cut of uh, edits. And then that's it. We just do first and second cut edits. Um, and then we do the audio leveling and we typically send out the interview to the guest so they can give it that final thumbs up. I always want to make sure that the guest has the chance to do that so that they're comfortable, that they you know enjoy the interview, that I'm saying things appropriately because in the publicist world, there are some journalists out there that just don't get it right the first time and they won't give you a heads up on when things will go live or be published and then all of a sudden one piece of fact or a photo credit or something's missing and you're like, oh no, this is not good. Um, so it's, um, it's a definitely, like I said, lesson learned. And that's what I want to do. I, I make sure that is a part of that process. And while that process may be timely, um, because when you think of the first cut, second cut, then audio leveling, then you send it to the guest, the guest might have some feedback, then you're gonna have to edit again and go through the whole thing again. So I mean, it takes time. And that's why I only do two episodes per month because of the time that is put into it. So that is typically how I've dealt with the process. I have not worked with a professional audio engineer, so I don't know how fast they go and how they do things. Um, but I am super grateful for having my husband be that asset and learning because, um, he is definitely not an audio engineer, but he learned pretty fast. And, and that was just through YouTube, you know, videos and just research online. So that's how we do it. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are like just learning kind of on YouTube and things like that anyway. And and that's kind of like the way of the world right now. It's like, we actually have access to information like never before. So like, I think that's really cool. And any type of thing that you want to learn, you can potentially find online. So I mean, oh, yeah. I love that. It's great. Yeah, it's great, and great resources out there. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's tricky for me because sometimes I end up going down the rabbit hole, but I mean, like, cause I'm like, I'm going to learn how to build stuff. And you know, I'm always like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to learn pouring thing. mediums, like, and all this different, like all these different mediums and art forms. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to learn that too. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, rain it in, rain it in. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess my last question would be probably in terms of Maine, thinking about Maine artists and, you know, the name, the title of your podcast is Maine Makers. So how did you, I mean, I know that you are not from Maine, but being in Maine now that you're here, how has that changed your perception, um, through the podcast? Like how have you kind of maybe seen Maine differently since interviewing people? And I guess, what have you learned about like the Maine spirit in doing your creating your content? I love Maine. Gosh, I've been here for almost four years now. And um, my husband is originally from Maine. I'm from Maryland. My husband's a I guess a part of this boomerang uh, effect uh, where he was born here, left, and then now is back. And we're super happy to be here. I mean, I worked at Sea Bags, and I feel like I had worked with some great people that introduced me to the small business and maker world. Sea Bags um, loves to partner with makers in the local area and just keeping the main roots as a part of its brand. And the president of Sea Bags really introduced me to a lot 
lot of great brands and my whole uh, publicist business, which is my full-time job, is supporting small businesses and makers throughout Maine as well as up and down the East Coast, but it's mainly really in Maine. And uh, I can't believe there's over 99.2% of small businesses that like encompass our business economy here. That's a large number. I think that's probably the largest number that I've seen per state. And that's according to the Small Business Administration. So, and I just looked that up the other day. It's crazy. And what? Yeah, it's nuts. I and didn't it keeps know growing. that. Yeah, it keeps growing. Wow. And that's um, amazing. It's um, it's remarkable because um, growing up, um, I lived in Maryland, and I, you know, was a, not really around many small businesses. I think when you go and get a full-time gig, it's very corporate or it's government. And I worked in both for a long time and I learned a lot from it and it got to be super dry and not fun for me anymore. And, you know, when I moved here to Maine, it opened up such a big opportunity. I never thought that I would start a podcast about makers in a state that I did not grow up in or I was raised in, but it's a part of me now. I feel like I, I will never be labeled as a because I am not from here. I'm a from away, but I really enjoy storytelling. And these stories that are here in the state are amazing. They're raw. They're authentic. I don't want to touch it. I just want to leave it and I want to throw it out there. And I know there's some editing that you got to do in between, but the, each of my guests that I've had are so diverse so skilled in what they do and they're passionate and I want to show that to everyone and uh, I will never close up the Makers of Maine podcast. I just recently um, expanded to Makers of the USA. I don't know if you knew that, Sarah, but I just launched that a couple of days ago, but I will always keep it Maine um, just because it is a brand that is untouchable and I think people need to learn about and I think a lot of people, when they think of Maine, it's like lobsters and lighthouses and the coast and you go sailing. And I'm like, no, it's not just about that. There's a lot more to it. Um, There's, you know, different cultures that people have no idea that are connected here, including, you know, the natives that have been on this land for so long. And I love talking to you and to Gabe about that and learning about that and then learning more about the African-Americans and the Somalians that have been here too and establishing themselves, creating a brand for themselves too and being a part of the main community. And, you know, I went to a farmer's market the other day and and met a lovely Asian woman who was crafting pot stickers and like really loved Asian cooking. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I love it that you're doing this here. I mean, that is a main made product. And so it's, it's only going to get more diverse and it's going to grow and continue to grow as more people come here. Um, because we do have a lot of folks that are of the older generations that reside here in Maine and just going to keep growing as more people come in and get to know Maine. I mean, we're a hot spot in terms of tourists and also places to live. So I'm really looking forward to more makers that come here, learn about it, want to be a part of the community, learn from others, because I feel like the maker community supports one another. And that's what it's all about, supporting each other, growing your brands, growing your craft, not being competitive, and we're on it together. So I feel like that is really what the main spirit is about. And I hope that I can learn from other communities across the United States and hear about how they support one another. And maybe it isn't, um, you know, like Maine. Maybe it's a little different in how they go about their make and craft. And that's okay. I'm just here to tell those stories and to really get people excited about um, traveling and getting to know the makers behind the traveling. That's so awesome. And I really love how you mentioned just 
how everybody in Maine kind of has that mentality of like working for yourself and, you know, not necessarily going straight into like a corporate or, you know, government job. They're right. thinking about what can I do to support myself with what I working with what I have, you know, and I feel like that's definitely like the kind of way that I was brought up and what I've seen from all the people around me is like you utilize what you have available and you do whatever you can to survive and if you know if you know a skill then you can use that to potentially make a living and I think that's really so awesome and especially that you're able to talk to all these diverse different type of people that have all these different skills and it's really awesome. I mean, Maine is a special place for sure. And I'm glad that you're really highlighting like what it is to be a Mainer and kind of that independent spirit that Mainers have. And that's what I always love. Like I've definitely like left the state and come back. And what, what I appreciate mostly about Maine is I, I do actually like the isolation. That doesn't bother me one bit. I think it's because that's what I'm a- accustomed to. And, you know, I'm also, like, working. I'm always working. So I'm, like, it's great to be able to, you know, not have a lot of distraction. So I think the, the main thing is just, like, that really laid-back kind of um, mentality that a lot of Mainers have where it's not about competition. It's about utilizing what you have and also being a part of the community, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like if you have some skill or you have some sort of knowledge, it's sharing it with the others in your community. And what what I also love and what I can see there being a huge revival of recently, especially in Maine, is kind of that trade economy where people like will say, well, I have this. And then another person will have, you know, what the other person wants. And there can be some sort of like transaction where it's not based on money necessarily. It's it's based on, you know, people giving what they have to offer to the community. And I love that idea of that kind of self-sufficiency. And also, I mean, that's sort of a really... Uh, strong bridge to bring people together, you know, instead of just Mm -hmm. like going and ordering stuff online or getting stuff, um, you know, imported from China or potentially like just falling into that like consumerism trap. I think it's really cool that people are now, well, especially in Maine, there's so many people making things. It's like, why would you want to get some of those manufactured things that are just like factory made when you can have something that somebody put their heart and soul into and something that they have dedicated, you know, years and years and into investing all of their time to make that piece, you know, it's like, there's a lot there. I agree. I think that you totally wrapped it up because typically my last question that I ask every one of my guests from the podcast is why Maine and has Maine helped your brand at all? And I think you just totally answered that. You know, it is definitely the community and the, you know, no competition type of mantra. And you're right. I think it's really people just using their hands, being creative in a different way. And sometimes it's not just using your hands. It's, you know, through voice and through art, through photography, through video, through creativity. It's just, there's a whole gigantic world of make 
I think. Yeah. And I, I try to keep that definition broad. And I think that's what people appreciate. They like talking about this. And I think that's what it's all about. I think that Maine does a very good job in representing all different types of make. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think the other thing that I love would be just kind of that unpretentiousness that people have in Maine. Like people are very down to earth. Like you can talk to anyone and it's not like they're unapproachable or, you know, if you need something or somebody needs, you see someone with a flat tire, like there's always someone that will stop. Like it's that kind of place. Like people are good to each other here. And that's what I really appreciate. And it's definitely like Maine is home and always has has been home and I feel like this is a place that you know even I feel like genetically linked to the land here like it's that kind of spiritual kind of level where I'm connected so deeply but at the same time I know that other people can come and move here and be like wow like this place is different you know and especially like I see I've definitely lived other places and I've uh for example I've lived in Massachusetts before and I went to school down there and there is like a competition type of mentality of like keeping up with the Joneses and that type of thing you just it's just not like that here and it's like a different value system you know people value people here and not so much like the superficial kind of like uh material type of stuff if you're you know valuing materials people are usually valuing more of like things that people have made or have touched or invested time in it's not like just flashy or you know people doing things for show or trying to one-up one another and it's, it's not like that but at the same time I'm also like I'm partial to Maine obviously um but I I love to tell people like it's a great place to visit but you don't want to live here like I tell people that just so that we can keep it the way it is right I know I totally <laughs> you know? get you I feel like um I just I've, visit oh yeah just come visit <laughs> just to come vacation here experience it because yep. I feel like a lot of people when they stay here in the wintertime it's just gonna scare them away because it gets yeah, so that's what cold I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah it's so cold but because you know. I know like there has been like this influx of people from away like because of COVID they're moving to p places where they are more isolated because they're able to work remotely and then you know that in turn affects us here in Maine because there's a housing shortage and I mean I'm actually I was in the middle of the buying purchasing a house process and now it's like the prices have like gone through the roof and it's harder and harder for those that are Maine natives it's harder for us to even find a house to buy right. so I'm like I'm not encouraging people to like move here I get <laughs> you <it>. know <laughs> but at the same time um it's really great place to visit <laughs> it really you is know? I know Maine's so great and so really I wanted just to ask do you have any more questions um, let's see. Let me think. I had, oh, I guess, that, okay, I have one more question, I guess. Sure. So what do you think I should know or be aware of when I'm kind of venturing into this path of podcasting? Like, is there anything uh, that I should know or do you have any suggestions or advice for me while I'm just getting started? I would say the biggest thing I've learned is to be patient. And what I mean by that is that you want a lot of people to go and listen to the stories that you've um, done such a good job yet 
it's a very hard job because you're trying to find the guest, you're setting up the interview, you're working so hard to make it so perfect, right? And I know we can relate in this way because we want to make sure like everything's solid and in a good place. And I feel like patience is key word here because I only had maybe a couple of followers. It was just like my mom and my sister and my husband and, you know, following along my podcast. And I was like, how am I going to grow this thing? How? Like, there's no way people are going to know about this. So I put my thinking cap on and used my marketing background. I said, okay, this is going to happen organically because I don't have any money to put towards this. And, you know, I wanted things to happen so fast and I, I'm very innovative. So I like like to think outside the box and coming up with new concepts to make this thing grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I feel like I needed to just take a step back, take a deep breath and be like, okay, patience, because there's a lot of organizations that have helped grow this thing along the way. I'm super grateful for the community and network that I have. And of course, we've repeated this continually. Maine has a great community of just like-minded people and it's not competitive. So it just, you know, doesn't surprise me that it's been great, you know, being a part of this and this project has grown thus far. So I would say patience is key. Also at the same time too, is really stick to your roots. And what I mean by that is that in the beginning, I didn't set up a strategy as a part of this podcast. I didn't have a plan and it's something I regretted. And one of my great mentors, um, Sherry Scott, who is also another podcaster kind of told me, she's like, create a plan, create a vision. If you step out of that vision, you need to get back in line because there's so many opportunities. Like when you go big, like, you know, I was featured on Good Morning America, like gosh, like six months into my podcast and it was a great opportunity. And she's like, now you're going to see all these opportunities fold out. And she's like, you're gonna have to pick and choose your battles. Is it a part of your vision? Is it not a part of your vision? And I feel like that's something I definitely learned a lot from because, you know, as much as I would love to have done all these opportunities, I can only take on so much. I have two kids at home. I have a lovely husband. I have, you know, other priorities. I have my PR job. I've got great clients I need to support and what they do. And I just have a plan and I have to stick to it. And I've done that. I did it a little bit later than I I thought I would, or I probably should have done. Um, But it's okay because now I have a pretty solid plan when it comes to Makers of Maine. And I am really just replicating that and taking into Makers of the USA. And I think that will continue. You know, it'll take a lot of work and a lot of time, but I think I got some ground going. And I think, you know, that is really the advice I offer is just patience and really sticking to your roots. Have a plan. Because I bet you, if you're like, probably thinking in your head, you're like, man, I don't really have a plan. I was just going to roll this out <laughs> and wing it. But it, you do have a plan. It's in your head. You just have to document it. Um, keep it in your back pocket. Because um, I think documenting things and referring back is super, super key. So I would say those are two big things going into a podcast or any type of project that you're working on. Those are the two key things that I've, I've really hit hard on. I love that because that's so true. Like just having like that vision in mind and always having that to work towards, like that's definitely what I've been trying to do, you know, and it's like, don't get distracted. Don't go go down rabbit holes. Don't, you know, just work towards what your main goal is, what your plan is and go full force, you know, and I think there's like a lot of things that could have been discouraging um, along the way. But I think 
I mean, obstacles, they just make us stronger, you know? And so it's like, I, I definitely, when I have something in my head, I will work till I, till I accomplish it. But the main thing is not getting distracted because time is ne- time is really like my worst, um, I guess, subject. <laughs> Very bad at it. <laughs> I am too. So don't worry. I feel like that time management is such a challenge for, you know, some people and we're just a few of those people that are going through yes. those motions. So and I'm like you know. one of those like, Ooh, shiny. Ooh, exactly. shiny. You know? I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what is the name of your podcast and where can folks follow along your journey? Cause I, I'm excited to, help promote your podcast. I think it's going to be amazing and hearing about other craftsmen and women and people who are just a creative background. I, I just love it that other people are, are doing similar things to what I'm doing and t- with different audiences and communities. So tell me like, where, what's your podcast? Tell me all about yeah. it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was actually really cool when Emily kind of presented this opportunity for us to, uh, work together and do this interview because it was like, wow, I'm actually planning to have my own podcast coming out. So it was like really just a a great timing and just, you know, what do you call it? Serendipity. You know, it's like, I, it just was like the right place, right time. And so my podcast, I've toyed with a few ideas in terms of the name, but right now the title is Native Voices Podcast. That's what it will be called. But um, I'm also like kind of rethinking it a little bit because I, I want to I do want it to be descriptive of the content, but at the same time, I don't want to be too narrow with, you know, uh, the descriptor, you know, and I I don't necessarily want to scare people off or anything. I don't, you know, want to, um, I don't know. I've I've questioned whether or not that's the right name, but right now that's, that's the name. It's Native Voices Podcast, and so I am... I already have the domain, so I'm working on the website, and I've also um, already started to like place a few ads here and there, and so my plan is just to uh, word of mouth and potentially just get the ball rolling and interview some Native artists and share their stories and share our culture, and I think that's really important. And I mean, for me, as a culture bearer, I want to make sure that the knowledge is there, it's celebrated it's appreciated and people don't take it for granted you know and so I think it's really important for artists to especially native artists to get exposure in the way that supports their business so that they can keep these traditions going for generations after generations so that's really the goal is to educate people to introduce them to native art and to really I guess empower the artists themselves and give them a larger platform wow that's amazing. I love the name. I think you should stick to it. I'm so excited that you're building your website and getting stuff out there. So I will definitely put this in the notes section of my podcast. I'm happy to, you know, lend a hand. Of course, Sarah, if you ever need anything um, and folks listening in, please reach out to Sarah if you can offer any advice or, you know, want to be a guest on our podcast. So Sarah, thank you so much again for your time. It was lovely to chat with you to learn about you. And wow, this was kind of crazy to be 
on the other side of the mic really and getting questions asked for me. So um, it was great. I'm so happy that I hope you found it helpful. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's awesome that like this opportunity came along at the right time. And it's also really cool to talk to you and hear what your experience is and your kind of perception of how to make great content and like it also gave me some good practice, you know, so I think it's awesome. I'm, I'm really excited to launch the podcast and excited to talk to people. And I just appreciate you being so welcoming into, uh, you know, sharing your perception on everything and sharing your experience with me. So thank you for having me. Of course, you have a voice for it. So that this practice run for you is amazing. So I am oh. very, very excited to listen into your podcast. You're going to be, you're going to do so well. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I mean, okay, that is one thing I do worry. Okay, the cringy part about listening to yourself talk. Mm. I mean, I'm a little bit... I like that you said that I have a good voice, but I'm always like, if when I hear, you know, as you have probably found in recording your voice, it's kind of hard to listen to, right? It's like cringy, like kind of. At first it was, um, but you get used to it after a while. I feel like um, I get so caught up in the story that I tend to not focus on it very much. Um, I am so interested in the other person that I'm just like, wow, like, yeah, I don't even focus on it. So I feel like when you are sort of doing that storytelling bit, uh, you know, I feel like any journalist can kind of go through this. It's really like, it's all about the questions you ask and pulling it out of them. It's like a game you play. It's like, oh yeah, like, let's talk about this. Let's dig deeper. Okay. Let's go back on the path. All right. Let's go back. Let's go in here and dig deeper and let's go back. And yeah, like the, your voice is going to be totally the aftermath, Okay, but you'll, good. you'll, do, good, you'll good, get the good. hang of it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I love that. And I just, I mean, yeah, I think that's the only thing I've been like, um, well, you know, <laughs> A little hesitant, I guess, but I You're think gonna it's do fine. Great. You're going to do yeah. great. I, I know right. I know a podcast voice when, when I hear it. And uh, a lot of people, like at first, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you have a podcast voice. And I said, really? I do? That's weird because um, I would never think that. But um, but you do, definitely. That's awesome. So you're going to okay, do a good, really good because, job. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I love asking questions. Like that's probably like that's one of my thing. favorite things to do just love asking questions. So I figured you might as, you know, work with it, work with what I got. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to the Makers of the USA main series. And thank you to Sarah for being on the podcast. If you would like to see visuals of her work, please follow the Makers of the USA on Instagram and Facebook. And please subscribe to her podcast as soon as she launches it. I know she'll be announcing it soon. If you've enjoyed this podcast series, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Facebook. I will also link her website and social media handles in the notes section so you can follow along her journey and keep up to date on her basket weaving craft. Now for our future musician is Sarah Trenzo, who is an amazing country artist and is launching a new album later this month. This is her song, Liberty Tool. If you'd like to learn more about Sarah Trenzo, please visit the Makers of USA website for a Q&A I did with her. 
also, please, please, please stay tuned for the next series. I'm finally introducing another state into this podcast mix. It'll be the Makers of Maryland series. Um, so that'll be launching in the next couple of weeks. Very exciting. Thank you all again and stay safe and healthy. Let's get you